Southern Skies. Online Media. folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 36 of the program where we look at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Vischer and with me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day mate. Hey dude, how you doing? I'm excellent. We've just had a wonderful chat with Matt Hall which we're about to play for our listeners. This is a uh, special edition, a special report. Grant, we ought to be playing some of that sort of uh, dramatic news background music underneath this, shouldn't we? <laughs> and now bringing you live breaking news. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well the problem with this interview is there's always got to be something and this time it was me. We're trying to have a serious, really cool, informative uh, discussion with Matt, and I've got the hiccups. Yep, so hilarious. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's some great outtakes in there, and you'll also hear it, some of the bits uh, that we have to keep in because Matt's chatting with us, and it's great news, and in the background you hear me going, hiccup. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think he found that quite entertaining. So uh, we won't do too much preamble on this one, folks. I'm sure that by now, uh, of course, it happened back in uh, early June, uh, Matt Hall and that incident where he touched the water in uh, Windsor, and uh, we're going to have a, a fascinating chat now with Matt. Uh, Matt, as he tells us about what happened, what went through his mind, and a bit of the science as well, uh, both from a psychological standpoint and from the physics standpoint of just uh, how that incident happened and uh, how it could have been worse. Uh, yeah, and we also have a quick chat about uh, that whole three strikes you're out scenario that saw him not flying in New York, and it's it's really fascinating. You definitely want to hear that bit. So uh, let's head into it, mate, and uh, enjoy this wonderful interview once again with Matt Hall. <laughs> Well, folks, as you all know, we're uh, big fans here of the Red Bull Air Race, and uh, like all devoted fans, we were sitting up waiting to watch Matt Hall uh, fly in Windsor back in uh, early June in the wee small hours of the morning, and we tuned in the television to hear uh, Nick Fellows say this. And the final big challenge, level through this blue gate, hard left to the chicane. Oh, oh, and a skip off the water. What an amazing recovery. Matt Hall, way, way too low, skimming the wing in the water, but just pulls the plane up in time. Wow, dramatic stuff and dramatic footage and Matt Hall is on the line now to uh, have a bit of a chat about what happened. How are you Matt? Good guys, yourself? Great mate, uh, thanks very much for joining us again on the show. I know it's been a very busy time for you and uh, you're probably uh, exhausted from talking to all us media types but uh, we uh, <laughs> we wanted to have a bit of a chat today about what happened and where to from here. Yeah, no problems at all. Okay, so let's let's ask the obvious question. Uh, now we, we've heard you uh, do a bit of a wrap up on the Red Bull coverage but uh, just for our listeners, from your point of view, what, what happened with that incident? How did it happen? Oh, well, it's a, there's a lot of things. I'm not sure if you've heard of the term the Swiss cheese model before with uh, aircraft yep. accidents. Uh, and uh, there was definitely um, a big, heavy block of Swiss cheese that was diced up for uh, for this one. Um, you know, you could say, you'd say in very simple terms that uh, I G-stalled the aircraft by trying to trying to make it turn tighter than it was capable of, which then resulted in uh, you know, exceeding the uh, lift limit of the of the aircraft. And this particular aircraft has got a few issues, one of which is that... Uh, at slower speed, um, it digs in um, quite aggressively and rolls left when you G-stall it. Uh, so because I was in a left-hand turn um, and when it exceeded the critical angle of attack, it uh, G-stalled um, quite aggressively, rolled left on me, um, which then meant because I was only at 40 feet at the time, I only had 40 feet to um, get the wing, like the lift back to pointing back up above the horizon and arrest the rate of descent. Um, so uh, all in all, I, I almost arrested the rate of descent, not quite touched the water and uh, was pretty lucky to get away with it. One of the things I noticed when I uh, was over there in Perth and watching you guys flying around there is the enormous power that those engines have got. Was it a case of massive amounts of thrust to get you off the, off the water again? Uh, it didn't look like it was uh, creating much lift. It wasn't thrust. Yeah, the, the thrust the thrust helped. But basically, from when I touched the water, I had pretty much arrested my rate of descent and I had the aircraft at its highest angle of attack I could have, which you know, I'm guessing probably about 16 degrees. So the point I recovered the stall and got the lift back above the horizon, I then pulled it back onto the buffet. And then I, as I, as I hit the water, basically, I just held the three-point attitude, looking at my dust 
data, I hit the water at about 121 knots, I think it was, um, and I lost uh, 13 knots in um, in the split second I was on the water. You know, it's down to 188 knots is when I left the water again. So in a three-point attitude um, that I was holding the aircraft in, that then generates um, you know, lift for takeoff at you know, probably about 80 knots. So I still had 30 knots of flying airspeed at that attitude to fly away without thrust, if that that's makes very, sense. Yeah, that, that's very lucky. The other bit of vision that was uh, really poignant, I think, when that happened was they flicked the camera to a vision of your wife standing in the stands watching. Uh, has she forgiven you yet for that? Is she speaking to you yet, Matt? Yeah, she, she was fine <laughs> with it. You know, she's, um, I guess I guess you got to look at it like um, uh, racing car driving, that um, you know, if these guys go and race their cars, and that's what we're doing with the aircraft, and, and you know that you're operating in an environment where you can have an incident. You know, if, if Mark Weber went and was driving his family car and, and hit somebody and flipped his car over, and slid into the front near front of a shop it'd be like you know what what the hell was he doing but he did it on a racetrack and everyone goes oh that was a scare um but that's what but that's what uh the environment you're operating in you know it's a new it's a new motorsport and while i don't want to do that again it is it is an area that we have to accept is uh you know is is possible um if i did that at an air show take my license off me um but it's not an air show it's actually a, a competitive race and we're, you know we're operating those limits and that's why we have the divers there and all the safety equipment because you know that sort of thing can and you know will continue to happen uh, because it is a race uh so she knows that and um you know she knows the environment we're operating in and while it was a shock at the time she was you know she was the first person to come up to me after it and goes you yeah, know yeah. good job uh, good good save good save um don't don't scare me again, but uh, keep racing. <laughs> now, honey, what have you learned from that? <laughs> yeah, well, pretty much, and that's why we both of us sat down. You know, we're, we're both very. You know, she's done crash investigations in the air force herself. You know, she's yep. she's just been part of boards of inquiry. So she and I actually made a combination to sit down and and really analyse every single part of an incident like that so we come up with every single factor that was involved and uh, we weigh them up in priority and figure out which ones we can affect which ones we can't and uh, you know come up with a realistic plan of how to make sure that doesn't happen again and the other thing too is matt uh, just on that um, i mean the, the incident happened very very quickly i mean it was it happened and it was over i was going to ask you about taking us through your thoughts at the time but i guess really it was all just instinctive uh, you know here's the situation roll wings level and, and do the best i guess it was probably done even without conscious thought um yeah it was about 0.6 of a second from when the aircraft stalled to when uh, when I was coming back out of the water. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of time there. Um, but uh, I did, you know, I've been in I've been in some fairly tight situations before, and I did suffer uh, what's known as temporal um, temporal distortion, which um, which uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of, um, is basically time slowing down in a in a uh, in a very um, stressful environment, um, and it and basically allows you to um, to assess, you know, your brain basically. You know, goes into a mode work. It uh, goes into double time, and it assesses a lot more information very quickly. Um, but that's then what uh, you know. It, it's very fatiguing to do that, so you can't do it for more than a second or so. So I, you know, I did I did suffer that, and I recognised it that it that it happened after the event. So I did get quite a few uh, conscious thoughts in throughout that process. Um, the the main one of uh, acceptance that I was going to hit the water um, was a you know it was a distinct uh, realization uh, that you know I'm going to hit the water, and it's a matter of how bad it's going to be and then quite a few distinct thoughts uh, once I started impacting the water and while I was in the water there was a lot of thoughts going on. Um, the actual flying of the aircraft there was no thoughts about that at all that was purely instinctive and reactive there was there was a little bit of thought on game plan of uh, you know I'm, I'm going to hit let's just try and get the wing the wings out of the water so I don't cartwheel and then there was um, another thought of I think I've I think I just lost my landing gear but I've got to do everything I can to hold the prop out of the water. Um, there was another thought that the tail is in the water now so I can't pull any harder. Uh, because I'm just going to bury the tail in the water and that's going to drag me in. And then uh, there was there was a, another conscious thought of, uh, of rapid deceleration um, and the, the thought that it got associated with that was that uh, I'm probably going to stay in the water at this stage, but it's just a matter of keeping it as straight as long as possible before it, um, before it digs in. So I definitely had all those thoughts uh, in that short time frame. There were no particular thoughts about flying the aircraft apart from deliberately just trying to set the um the flare attitude and not not dig the tail in and not uh, let the prop hit the water absolutely amazing mate that's uh <laughs> that, that's just that's very full on uh, yeah when your brain kicks into hyperdrive on the whole fight and flight scenario and 
it's it's going back to the times when you needed to assess the situation to get out of danger on the savannas, I guess. But yeah, that's that's a lot of information to process and a lot of a lot of things to go through. The the whole thing, just putting it all together like that and pulling away for us, it was just like, oh my god, what? He's a, he's in the air. You know, it's, it wasn't until you looked at it in slow motion you saw all the activity. Yeah, they're basically uh, if you if you look at it in slow motion, you'll see um, there's you know in that 0.6 of a second there's a there's a hell of a lot of different control inputs that go in as well. Yeah, just yeah. trying to trying to counteract you know the the left wing hitting the water then then that's then yawing me and, and rolling me and I've got a, a counter into that that then you know, carries through to the you know to the right wheel going in which then is, I've got you know almost full left rudder as that's occurring trying to stop the um, trying to stop the uh, the plane from yawing to the right and uh, so yeah there's a there's a huge amount of inputs uh, in there and that's actually looking at those was uh, the first clue we got as to uh, one you know one of the one of the immediate causes of the uh, of the event that we then pursued yeah no exactly and Matt you're always and we, we've um, we've had the pleasure of watching you speak publicly and you you do a bit of um, motivational speaking so you're a very positive person how have you moved on mentally from this is it something that you've relived a lot or, or is it just a matter of you know if looking at it in a really clinical fashion and saying well okay this is what happened and this is what we need to do to address it it's the uh, the latter um you know there's uh i think that the human brain does actually become good at uh dealing with you know stressful situations and being able to analyze things without you know without too much uh why is me and uh, you know the, the military is definitely uh, a training ground for that you know we we train very hard and you do you know you, you end up in very stressful situations um, you know often often you'll end up in env- environments which you think you know could be uh, could be detrimental to your long-term health <laughs> and, and you um, you learn you learn uh, how to how to deal with those sorts of things you know through through necessity really and um, even if you haven't been to combat you're trained to do that because if you go to combat the last thing you want to ha- have happen is the troops or the pilot or whatever freezing under pressure you know you get the first shot fired at you and you it misses you and then you go holy sh-, you know I, I nearly you know I nearly just got shot you know and what you don't you, don't, you can't have people freezing those sort of situations and you've got to be able to assess rapidly why you nearly got shot change what you're doing immediately if necessary uh, because you've still got a job to do which you may in fact be continue to fly the aircraft and um, and land it soon so I've dealt with a lot of situations like that in my life. Basically, I've lived my life in very stressful situations. Yeah. So this, this to me, it, believe it or not, wasn't wasn't the most stressful situation I've ever been through. Uh, <laughs> so it, it was a very clinical, um, you know, uh, assessment for me. It was, um, yeah, there, there was obviously some, um, you know, some review um, with some emotion for a couple of days, but then. After that, it was like, okay, let's uh, let's get on with it, and let's you know, let's write a very detailed account of absolutely everything that was occurring in my life um, up up to that point. And then we you know, we went through, sifted through it, and we found quite a few substantial things that were occurring that were probably high percentage uh, factors in in the incident. There was you know, a lot of low percentage factors which do add up that we're we're addressing as well. But there was definitely some. Uh, serious contenders out there that needed to be fixed are you able to elaborate on what some of those were yeah there was um there was for me personally there was um mental drain from the other aspects of uh, of of my business so uh, just you know first of all running the business and um and trying to get some sponsorship things sorted out trying to get some media things sorted out you know finances uh you know coming to the end of the financial year all those sorts of things were were in my head um i was also quite ill at the time so um you know there's, there's always the saying if there's any doubt there's no doubt when you're when you're flying planes but I'd put myself into a situation where I was going well they're short flights it's competition I've done it before I'll be okay um, but when you combine then an overloaded brain with mm. um, with illness and some quite serious uh, accumulated jet lag because I'd I'd already done so much travel this year; it wasn't funny. Yeah. Um, my, I was I was probably not in a in a very healthy state to go flying. So that was that was you know the first side of things. Uh, and the second thing was the aircraft was not set up. Basically, from day one since I've had the aircraft, it has not been set up very well because we've just been so late. You know, with all the interviews I've done with you guys, you're probably aware of how how we've struggled with this aircraft since we got it only you know one week before it had to ship. Uh, and in that time, we we had an engine failure. Where the weight's been changed on it. The, all the all the race equipment was put in at the race so we just didn't get a chance to set it up and we discovered that the uh, the center of gravity was um was poorly uh was poorly set which was making it basically it's been analyzed as stick neutral uh, unstable meaning that oh. if uh hmm. yeah, as soon as as soon as you kick it out of balance by moving the stick forward or back it wants to keep going in that direction you have to physically stop the aircraft from pitching uh, with a mo- movement in the other direction as well as that we also discovered the elevator was overbalanced which meant that under g the stick wanted to continue moving back and i had to 
physically hold the stick forward to stop the, the aircraft pulling more G. So you combine some of the, you know, and, and I don't want to be seen as blaming my tools, but you combine those two major items of my personal health mm-hmm. along with an aircraft that was um, that was actually uh, physically unstable. Yeah. Um, you, you fly around at 40 feet on the limit of the aircraft, and it was probably a fairly few big holes in some Swiss cheese that lined up right there. That's a lot of yeah. holes. Yeah, so um, so they're, they're probably the main things that uh, we got out of it. Huge amount of other things, you know, that... Uh, that uh, we've got out of it as well. But uh, as I said, the, the minor things are still worth chasing because they add up to major things. Mm-hmm. But they were the two big major things that we can control through uh, changing my business structure, changing my travel plans and uh, changing the aircraft setup. It really is. A, um, from my observations in Perth, once again, I mean, it's a really intense few days, isn't it? It's, uh, I mean, the pilots are being chased everywhere by people like us. Um, <laughs> plus, of course, you've got to go out in there and do your flying and, and analyse what you're doing and, you know, speaking with your team and your mechanics and all that sort of stuff. So you really have to, you know, be, like you say, right on the peak of fitness and, and, and right there with it right at that time to so that everything works together on the day for that, you know, that sort of high pressure event. You're completely right there. We're, um, that, that is something that has caught me by surprise uh, about uh, being an air race pilot was, is that, uh, the, the demands on the pilot to um, you know you know while you're at the race. So you know I was think I'd watch it and go well all they have to do is go flying and you know, race through the track a couple of times a day. How easy is that? Um, but <laughs> you know, we're, we're really doing 14 to 15 hours a day at the airfield and we we do struggle to get time to ourselves you know before we fly because once again everyone wants an interview with the pilot just before he goes flying to say you know what are you thinking what's your game plan? And, and I was <laughs> I used to be very disciplined at saying yeah. Now, I'm a rookie. I need to really concentrate on my flying because that's, you know, that, that's the important thing here. And I really did get into a bit of a blasé attitude to say, well, you know, this is my second year now. I've got a bit more understanding of what's going on. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I can still do it. You know, they want an interview. Yeah, I'll give you an interview. Come on, let's do an interview. And and all those things just added up. So it's very much, as you say, it's, uh, you know, the, the demand and the, you know, the stress on the pilot uh, can easily get in the way of the real thing there that, hey, this is a dangerous job, you know, potentially dangerous job and uh, the pilot needs to be in completely the right frame of mind when he gets in that cockpit otherwise he shouldn't be in there so once again you have checks and balances and we're we're, de- we're developing ways now to have my team you know looking after me a bit more as well so that they're they're very interested in my physical and mental state um, leading up to my flight rather than just just leaving it to me because I'll typically say yes to most things. Before <laughs> well, it's a perfect example to all of us who are pilots that physical and mental well-being is is a huge factor in uh, in any sort of flying. I mean, you know, even for the the sort of Cessna jockeying stuff that I do, it's 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 still very very important to be fit and to be uh, you know not fatigued when you're out there doing what is what can be a very dangerous business. And it's, I guess it's even more so the case when you're doing stuff at the pointy end like you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And you know, say that uh, being fatigued is uh, you know after a twelve-hour day, um, your reactions and your thoughts processes are about the equivalent of being uh, at the legal um, the legal driving limit for uh, alcohol and that's that's how much fatigue affects you and, and I guarantee you I was, I was pretty damn tired on those flights leading up to it and embarrassingly I was even writing on my Facebook account in the last couple of days going yeah I'm really I'm really quite sick at the moment but uh, we're going to go and see how well I can fly this and you go, well, <laughs> yeah there's uh, you know I was predicting something right there so um, yep. you know we've, we've, I've got to be I've got to be more aware of that myself now and it, you know, this was a very cheap and you know, you know a very cheap lesson for me as well on uh, you know um, and a wake-up call for not only me but all the all the race pilots all went jeez oh, you know we're yeah you know, a bit of a reminder here this is this is serious you were talking Matt, about uh, some of the technical issues to do with the aircraft so it sounds like it's a bit of a uh, baptism of fire for uh, jack mashovis your uh, your new head mechanic there yeah yeah well um, i've got him working reasonably hard at the moment to uh, to try and um uh, fix the two major issues being an overbalanced uh, elevator we we uh, you know we worked fairly hard on that at new york and and we experimented with the center of gravity, and we're now coming up with a plan to put the center of gravity even further forward uh, for the rest of the season. At that point, we'll then be bringing the aircraft back to back to Australia. Pardon me. Uh, and then the, the good news is that I'm I'm just I'm just really looking forward to having the aircraft back in Australia, so I can go and you know do a full test program and and trial things without the pressure of a race because um you know trying trying to make changes to the aircraft at a race location is extremely difficult just due to the workload that you're under there plus you've got to book you've got to book training time because everyone wants to go flying and our slots are only 15 minutes long to go flying 
and and you don't want to wear yourself out or change the characteristics of the aircraft to something that you go, oh, that didn't really work, but we're in the track tomorrow. What have we done? Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to actually, you know, I still don't know my aircraft I'm racing. You know, I, I still haven't done, I, I still don't feel confident in this plane as far as, you know, to go and do everything that I do in other planes, for example, you know, with tumbling it at low level and things like that, or not super low level, but, you know, doing, you know, tumbles at a thousand feet. Uh, I'm not confident in, in this aircraft to go and do those types of things yet, just because I know it's not set up correctly and it has got a few um a few little vices which uh, concern me yeah we've seen you uh you know doing lots of low-level stuff in the giles when you were down at shepparton last year and uh, i guess you won't be doing any of that soon in the in the mx no not until not until i get not until i understand completely what its aerodynamics are doing because it uh, you know it does as i say we <laughs> it's it's probably turning out that designing it on the back of a bar napkins yeah got, <laughs> got some got some issues that uh yeah, we we built the plane in you know mostly in accordance with what I wanted, but it was really just um, you know done at the last moment. Got the plane flying a week before racing, and you know some things like that now lead to adverse yaw because the rudder's smaller. Uh, there there's uh, less buffet feel on the tail plane and through the stick because we've chunked the ailerons, which used to throw disturbed air onto the elevator to give me more feel. So now when it g stalls, it goes off like a shotgun with no warning. So mm. all these little things that we hadn't thought of when we when we designed the plane. And now coming back to haunt me, so it's a matter of me figuring out: Do I need to go back to how it was um, you know, originally, or do we put some other mods on to to regain those uh, those those losses in feel and um, and controllability? Because I remember you telling us last year that you were sitting down with a lot of your Air Force mates there at uh, at uh, Williamtown or somewhere and, and designing all these new mods for the plane. And of course, when, uh, having a look at your plane uh, in Perth, it, it it does look quite a lot different uh, from many of the other planes, even the other MXs. So uh, I guess um, you're sort of working it out as you go. Well, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a unique aircraft. This one you wouldn't you wouldn't even really call it an MXSR. You know, it started off life like that, but it's now like a an, an MHR uh, special. <laughs> so, um, it's uh, you know, it, and and that you know that that was the risk I took. I was expecting to get the aircraft flying you know, months earlier, so I would have time to to have tested it and developed it to uh, to to have it set up how I wanted. But uh, you know that 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 is racing. That's you know that's the world I'm in. But if you want to uh, if you want to break the ground ahead, you've got to you've got to take some risk. Um, and it's just unfortunate that we ended up uh, on a on a timeline that wasn't suitable for the for the required testing. And uh, you know I, I took it as is and have been uh, have been battling with it ever since until it finally caught up with me. Matt, can we have a bit of a look at the the science of the G stall, the physics of it, if you like? If you know we all learn when we when we start flying that you know there's four forces acting on the aircraft: uh, lift, weight, thrust, and drag. How are those factors changed when you add in high G and and all that sort of compression? I'm not sure that I understand it myself, but I'd be fascinated to know what it is that causes the G-stall. Basically, uh, when you G-stall, uh, it's probably simplest to you know, remove thrust and drag. Obviously, um, you know, your, thrust is, your thrust is set at a certain amount. Um, you're accelerating until your drag equals your thrust. When you're turning tightly, your drag is in excess of your thrust, so you're decelerating. That's about the all we need to understand about um, thrust and drag. Uh, but then you talk about lift and weight. Now, you know the weight. The weight is not the physical mass of the aircraft. It's uh, it's it's what the wing has to support under G. So basically, when when the weight of the aircraft equals the um, the maximum lift that the air, that the wing can develop at that airspeed, that is the um, the lift limit of the wing. If you go beyond that point by increasing either increasing G, which increases the weight, or decelerating slightly more, which decreases the amount of lift you can produce, you're going to exceed the critical limit of the wing and you will G-stall. So basically, you've exceeded the critical angle of attack. When you exceed the critical angle of attack, what it means is that the air, which is normally you know going over the top of the wing nice and smoothly, you've made it too great an angle and the air can't go over the wing smoothly and it just breaks away, kind of like when you you know you chuck a surfboard in the, in the water and you stall it and all the water sprays up rather than gliding through uh, gliding mm. through the water. So when that happens, you lose all the lift um, with the majority of the lift very quickly off that wing. So uh, what's happened with me is I've, um, I've actually ended up uh, at a slower speed than I would have liked and I tried to turn tighter than the aircraft could do. So uh, when I started that turn, the aircraft started to pitch in 
instead of stopping it where it needed to, uh, you know, as it approached its lift limit, I let it go through the lift limit. I exceeded that critical angle of attack. The air broke away on the wings and it dumped its lift. And at the same time, it rolled left. Uh, we expect because of the uh, the torque effects of the uh, the propellers why it rolled to the left, which then meant that the aircraft is now in a fully stalled condition at 40 feet, slightly upside down. <laughs> but I've got a fairly interesting uh, video of that uh, from my in my in uh, in cockpit camera. There's a there's a frame there that you go. Yeah, let's roll the dice to see who thinks the result of this picture. You know, I'm, I'm probably only at about 18 feet at the time I'm oh. inverted, pointing at the ground at the water at about you know 10 degrees nose down. So it's, a, it's an interesting photo. So is that an expected? Uh, let, let's let's say instead of being at uh, 40 feet, you're at 4,000 feet doing this. Yep. Had you allowed that condition to continue developing, uh, yep. do you think you would have torque rolled the aircraft, or what? What would do you think would have happened there, or what? What would be normally expected from that sort of condition if it got worse? Uh, it had. It had typically, um, if you left those those control inputs in, it would probably t- turn into some sort of snap roll slash torque roll. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah, just do the the initial left roll. The left wing is probably going to produce um, a little bit more drag, which is going to create a little bit of yaw, which it in fact did in my my case, which is going to then make the situation worse on the left wing and may in fact get the right wing flying again. And if that happens, then then it's getting even worse because um, you, you're now in a basically an incipient spin or a flick roll with one wing flying, one wing not. Yep. So uh, so that that's where it can lead to. So you're really flying it on the edge all the time there when you're in those tight turns, obviously. But well, it's, not, it's not an uncommon thing for guys to g-stall the aircraft. Yeah. So it's um the uh, the problem was the the stability of my aircraft uh led it to roll. Whereas you know you you quite often see in the in the air race guys will g-stall. You can you can the way to pick it is you see the smoke trail um will will kick slightly and, and have a straight section in it and that that's a g stall so um because you've you've stopped creating lift the aircraft flies straight even though the nose is is up in the air the aircraft will fly straight so it, it's it's a reasonably common thing in the race that we will have these slight g stalls because we are operating the aircraft right to its limit once again compared to car racing it's the car sliding slightly and then the driver getting it back up under control um yeah as it as it you know as the wheels slightly let go and then he, he releases slightly and then it's just a matter of can he miss the wall or not so that's exactly <laughs> the same situation is this one of the factors that's led to the red bull air race uh, putting a i think it's a 12g limit on uh, any of your turns uh no no the uh the, the the g limit is uh for the safety consideration for both the airframe and and the pilot so if if we you know the race started basically with no g limit and um the aircraft had a G limit, um, but the pilots were going up to the air, the airframe's G limit, and every now and then exceeding the airframe G limit. And they, you know, it was decided, which was you know a good decision that to put a safety margin in there um, so that we're not exceeding the aircraft G limit, which doesn't mean that the aircraft's going to fall apart because you know that's the aircraft G limit's there with margin already. It was better to have a race enforced G limit. So everyone, regardless of the aircraft you're flying, had the same G limit to contend with, and it put a margin on, um, or it was a known uh, limit then that all of the host cities, all the FAAs and the CAAs and the CASs, whatnot, could sign off that the maximum G that's going to be pulled is 12, and if that's exceeded, the aircraft's pulled out of the track and is grounded. So that leads me to ask, it, it's, it just strikes me this year, and, and maybe I haven't been paying too much attention in previous seasons, but there seems to be a higher error rate this year. Um, there's not only your incident, yep. but of course there was Addison Kindleman's. I think even in the race where you had your incident, I think Hannah Sark uh, had a bit of trouble with a, a bit of a major pylon hit there. You know, we, we often talk about on this show how, you know, you really shook them up last year coming out of nowhere, really, and, and getting up there on the at the top of the pack. Do you think this is, it's a much more competitive season and perhaps this is forcing, you know, this, this sort of error rate? It's definitely, every year it gets more competitive. Guys are spending more and more money. It's getting more professional, you know, and, and as you do that, uh, it, you know, the, the mistakes will start to creep in. Yeah, the, the less margin you have at the, um, you know, at, at the end of the, at, you know, at the limit, the more often you, people are going to bump out over the limit. And, you know, typically that involves a G-stall in these types of aircraft. Um, there, there, there have been you know, two major incidents this year. Um, there have been you know, major incidents in the past that uh, you know we've, the, the air race has got away with. But uh, you know, Adelson's uh, his his crash was the first time an aircraft actually hit in the racetrack, and then uh, mine was uh, you know the second, and you know, both within you know, a few months of each other. What's causing that? The competition is definitely a part of it, um, and there's also some development issues I would say as well with um, with how the aircraft are being set up. We changed quite a bit of the setup. 
for the air race this year uh, with the um, with what's contained within the aircraft and that that has led to some center of gravity issues on the aircraft uh, which has not put them out of center of gravity so it's, they're still legal and flying within center of gravity but it's significantly changed the handling of the aircraft so people are now trying to come to grips with that either come to grips with the handling of their aircraft this year which is what i was trying to do or they're making some dramatic changes to their aircraft to make them handle how they want uh, with the new uh, interior setup. Flight experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot's seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower, and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, flight experience puts you in control of a 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight experience, the ultimate flying experience. Experience. Give your business a professional edge with promotional solutions from audiovisual media, jingles, jingles radio, ads, radio ads, television ads, television ads, stunning visual presentations, cards, brochures and catalogues available in print or digital media such as CD or DVD. Audiovisual media, a complete solution to your business promotion. Visit our website at www.audiovisualmedia.com.au or call us on 0407 Looking for a different way to promote your business? Our podcasts are a great way to reach listeners across the Asia-Pacific region and a growing audience around the world. We can produce your ad in-house in a variety of styles or use your own pre-produced commercial. With an expanding online aviation community of professionals and enthusiasts, our podcasts can get your name out there. For more information on our advertising packages, go to www.plainecrazydownunder.com and click on the Advertising With Us link. It's what's down under that counts. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com Now, Matt, as you've pointed out, there have been quite a few G-stalls throughout the course of this season. Yeah, you're quite often seeing them in the smoke trails, as you noted. And uh, Kindleman had his big splash. Uh, and then... Uh, as Steve said, the day before, Hannes Ark had a G-stall, barely recovered above the water, and wound up flying face-first straight into a, uh, into a pylon that damaged his aircraft and led to him having to do some uh, very quick repairs before just making it back onto the track the next day to continue flying in time. Now, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of things going on, and, and while your incident was quite spectacular, how come you got the, uh, the grounding in, in New York, whereas uh, Hannes Ark did not? And they mentioned three strikes, apparently a G-stall in Perth, dangerous flying in Rio, and now this incident in Windsor as their reason for why you weren't allowed to fly in New York. I'm just finding that odd because I haven't been able to find any reference to G-stall in Perth or dangerous flying in Rio. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing is you, there, there's probably two parts of this story. There's the uh, why didn't I fly in, um, in New York and there's the what were the three strikes about. Um, as far as why I didn't fly in New York... Um, yeah, we, we basically, we got the plane ready. Um, I had to then go through, you know, the plane was fixed. I got to New York. I had to go through a series of, um, of interviews with uh, sports psychologists and uh, medical examiners um, and the, uh, the race directors and the director of aviation to decide if I was, if I was ready to, uh, to fly or not. And uh, the decision was made after all of those guys talked that while, you know, I, I seemed like I was, I was ready to fly and the aircraft seemed like it was, it was ready to fly, I've just gone through a traumatic experience and if something goes wrong out there, it doesn't look good for the sport basically that, um, um, you know, I, I did, in, it has to be limits somewhere and, yep. and, and this is a developing sport so they've got to kind of think about what are the limits as, as new things develop they haven't thought of, they go, okay, we've got to come up with a limit here and, um, you know, there was, there was discussion which is not, you know, it's not final but there's discussion that, hey, um, Matt actually hit the water, that is that is an obvious limit. Uh, Hannes yeah. didn't hit the water or the barge, uh, so while it was still, you know, reasonably um, unsafe, I actually hit hit the water. So if, if I yeah. had have just missed the water, it's the the same. You know, it it really should be looked at the same way because it was still just as you know, just as dangerous a situation 
Um, but the fact is I ticked that, that limit. I actually physically hit something um, yeah. that wasn't a pylon. So there has to be some sort of mechanism where there's a, you know, a penalty for that. Um, you know, there, yep. There's obvious penalty for me that you know, I, I don't need to be punished for it because I, you know, I'm, I'm the harshest critic out there is myself. <laughs> um, but there has to be some sort of um, standard set that says if you actually go across the limit, whatever that limit is, there needs to be some form of... Um, of sanction, I guess, so that, uh, yeah. you know, and because it's a new, it's a new sport and it, it is aviation, it's, it's not cars. Uh, it is more dangerous in that regard. You know, there was a, there was a decision that everything, everything seems to be okay for me to race, but if something goes wrong, everyone's going to look like fools out there for what would be seen, seen to be as rushing in. And okay. you know, so, so that was, that was the main reason for me not flying in New York. So it wasn't that they were concerned about, uh, about my flying style or my or me being ready for it, it was that it was a it was a final decision that where it's not for for the championship this year, it's not as it's not that important for me to race in New York because I'm not going to win the championship anyway. So let's just say no for this race. Um, I convinced them that it was important for me to get back in the track uh, yeah. because I needed to you know get get back on the horse. So that was then the decision that I can fly in the track in training, um, but I'm not allowed to race because if something goes wrong while I'm racing, that then can look bad. Okay. So that that's kind of the first part of the uh, the answer there why I wasn't flying and why Hannes was after you know, an, an event that was. Yeah, some have said was uh, was equally as scary to uh, to observe, and and it also fits in line with uh, with Adelson to say, well, Adelson wasn't allowed to race at the next race. Truth of the matter that yeah, you know, he didn't have an aircraft to fly. But um, yeah, well, but it sort of sets a precedent that you know, okay, so we're we're starting to develop a new rule here, which is not final, which is not confirmed, it's not formal, but we're now heading in a, almost a red card um, direction. That if this occurs, you get a red card, you're out for a game. Yeah, well, I mean, Kindleman hasn't come back at all. Still it's, looking for a plane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the the fact that you, by being out of Windsor, you you missed out on those points anyhow, which put you into the into the lower sections, made it real hard for you. I mean, you could you could still have a go at, at crawling your way back up, but to lose New York as well, that's it. You're out. Exactly. So this this year, I, it's out. You know, it's this year's. Uh, you know, you could almost say it's a training year for me now. I'm going to go. I'm going to go out there for the next two races and, and have a go at uh, you know how I can improve this aircraft and um, and you know see how well I can go in the races. But I'm not. I'm, I'm by no means bidding for the championship. I'm bidding for the top half of the field, effectively. Yeah, it's 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 you know, are you able to to keep yourself in fifth place type of thing? Exactly. Well, at the moment, I was. I was in fifth place after Windsor with not racing. So yeah. once again, I was actually kind of, you know, it's like, well, that's still pretty good that I've just, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was mechanically didn't start at uh, Abu Dhabi and, um, and then I've missed a race in, uh, in Windsor and I still fifth. I'm like, well, that's, that's still not a bad position. I can still potentially make it on the podium at the end of the year. But, you know, as I said, a decision's made in New York. I'm now in eighth place. And, you know, well, yep. Time, yep. time to just, Time to shrug your shoulders. Otherwise, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Shrug your shoulders and go. That's racing, and um, and I'll just take what I can out of the rest of this year, and we'll uh, and we'll come up with a really good plan of how to look after my body, my mind, and my aircraft next year, and uh, and come back stronger than ever. Now that uh, Red Bull's lost Porto, uh, the Portugal race, uh, there's less chance for you to. You know, I was thinking, oh yeah, three races in Europe. Oh, that gives you a bit of a chance to claw your way back up into the top four or five but it's losing a race has, has really made it hard f for you i mean what's your take on the whole portugal scenario are you able to chat about that i don't know a great deal about it um you know as uh, i really am just a competitor uh, i don't i don't get involved in the you know, i'm involved in some of the rule making uh, or rule discussions i should say about how how the race is progressing with rules and um, that sort of thing but as far as the administration and the locations i have absolutely nothing to do with that so uh, I was I was aware that there was still still some discussions about exactly where in Portugal the race was going to be held, uh, and that there was some there were some issues about coming to an agreement uh, with that um, with both the cities and the air race. Um, but uh, you know that I, I was you know I was only informed uh, you know a, a small time prior to uh, the rest of the public that the uh, the race was actually cancelled. So um, okay. yeah, there's uh, it is disappointing because um, you know the, the smaller the number of races, um, the less chance anyone has of recovering from an error, and it, it just really becomes the person who makes the least errors uh, you know does does well, which is how I survived last year. If last year had been a 20 race championship, I don't think. It would have come third because people would have been able to recover from errors that they'd made and um, and, and got back on top. It's just that I didn't really make any errors last year. That's kind of how that uh, that worked out. But um, um, it, with the three strike thing, basically that ended up being 
what what you might call um, a, a media or I won't say a media error, but it was a, a release that came across in uh, in the wrong the wrong light. All the, all the race pilots got really really upset about uh, the way that that was released. I was pretty disappointed in the way it was released, and uh, my wife was also very disappointed in the way it was released because <laughs> it because it came across as uh, you know Matt Hall the hooligan um, not flying. And uh, there was and, that uh, aspect. Yeah, so it's uh, you know we went up to them and all the race pilots. We had actually we actually had a meeting with the race pilots and the uh, the aviation directors about you know is, is this the way we get treated when we make uh, when we make an error and um, you know it really came down to almost a um, it was a you know you wouldn't say it was a language barrier but uh, there, there was just some some things that were were not quite communicated correctly. So uh, in Perth, yep, I did do a G stall. Um, but it was it was not a dangerous G stall. It was like everyone else did a G stall. And in fact, if you watch the Perth race, you'll probably see about ten people do a G stall. Mm, yeah. Um, so uh, so yes, I did a G stall. And uh, in uh, Rio, in training, I was disqualified um, for a knife edge pass in training. But once again, if in training, if you look at the dis- the number of disqualified people get in training, that's very very common because you're experimenting with what you can get away with. So yeah. it wasn't a dangerous one. It was uh, you're actually you're testing the limits. You're seeing, you're seeing with what you can get away with at that particular track. And um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, as I've said in all my interviews, when I'm when I'm racing, I use training to go and find out. You know, I'll go and re- go around and around a certain part of the track a huge amount of times without finishing the track, just seeing what line I can get away with and uh, and what you know what what I can do in the track. So um, neither of those two items were um, were considered dangerous, um, but because they they were basically just used as an example of uh, well, you know, there's been a few events and. If another if another one happens in New York, we're going to look silly. So he's not racing in New York. So, it, but it came across as you know the hooligan. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is, you're saying it's in training. I mean, yeah, of course, that's what training's for. Training that's, is to push, go hard. Yeah, exactly. As long as it's not dangerous, and uh, and and it wasn't, you know, they they weren't dangerous events that I'd previously done. I fully admit what I did in, in Windsor was completely uh, you know dangerous. But um, the the training incidents they were um, they were reporting on in Perth and in um in rio uh were no more or no less than i've done all my career and what all the other pilots do as well so that's yeah. that's what all the pilots were really disappointed about going you know so we're now when we're training we've got to make sure that we make we don't get a disqualify in training otherwise that can be used as evidence against us in a court of law sort of thing so <laughs> um they went they went yep we kind of screwed that up and we you know that was a so that's why they they then subsequently put another media release out 24 hours later going we're actually not concerned about Matt and his flying style. We just need to make sure that uh, yeah he gets back on the horse in a in yeah. a controlled fashion, and uh, yeah. and we'll take it from there. Interesting too, Matt. That uh, one of the one of the things I've noticed about all of you guys in the Red Bull Air Race pilot grade is that uh, uh, you're very much a community. I mean, you you, you know it's yeah. it's all very competitive when you're there, but obviously yeah. you're all you're yeah. all, I, I noticed I noticed quite a good camaraderie between all you guys in Perth here, and uh, that that's good to see. And it's glad to see that you are sticking together. I've got a clip here that uh, Mike Goulian, uh said about you just after the race. Yeah, you know, thank God it was Matt Hall. There's a guy that was pushing hard, stalled the airplane, and he's one of the best pilots on the planet, and that's why he is where he is now, landing back safely at this airport. Is Mike Billy and the nicest bloke on the tour? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did go up to him after that and said, "Dude, thanks for that, and, and, and nice job not mentioning." And he, you know, he was he was a really good pilot. A fraction of a second after, he was a really bad pilot. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the joke about? You know, ex- excellent pilots use their excellent foresight to make sure they don't have to use their excellent skills. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was definitely, uh, you know, failing in a few of those bits. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was an awesome comment from Mike. And uh, what you were saying about all the guys getting together to go and have a chat with Red Bull about that that statement, it it does reinforce that you're a bunch of a bunch of happy guys who are, who are you know quite happy to have a chat and share some ideas. But uh, yeah, there's there's back to the racing and uh, let's get serious here. It's it's great to see. It's uh, something that I've seen missing for a long time out of Formula One and things like, and a lot of the car racing. Uh, it used to be a lot more relaxed and fun and it's it's gone. Yeah, well, we're, we're all aviation enthusiasts. We're all very passionate about aviation. We're passionate about what we're doing. We, we all want this race to succeed and uh, and develop into, you know, the yeah, the number one motorsport. We're yeah, and we're not doing it for money or fame. We're doing it because it, it's 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 a really great thing to be doing and uh, to be involved in, and um you know, and and we all yeah, you know, we don't even talk about that. That's what we're doing. We all just know that's what we're doing. So if someone has a problem or someone's had an issue, 
or one of the pilots has been singled out unfairly. It's very good to see the way we all, you know, there's no, there's no sides. Everyone jumps in and, you know, we call a meeting for the management to come to and say, you know, this, this isn't right. Uh, we need to fix this and this because we are the guys with our, with our neck on the line and, um, and we're the ones that need to be uh, protected or supported or, um, you know, or, uh, or looked at in the correct, uh, correct way. I do actually have one last little question. It's uh, come in from one of our listeners. We we tweeted that we were chatting at the moment and uh, asked if anyone had any specific questions. Uh, I've got a couple very quick ones. Uh, the first one is uh, from Hamish T. And uh, now we touched a bit on this about your training and background in the military and how that helped you when you went into hyperdrive and so on. But uh, he's asking about your very quick reaction times. And would you say it was the years of training or is it is it something that is in your body that uh, perhaps you're, you're lucky to have that uh, fast reaction times or, or you know, is that something everyone could have if they went through the right training? I would probably say, you know, without, without being clinical or having anything to back it up, I'd say it's very much a combination of the two, but I would say that the training is the, uh, the larger percentage of it. So um, you do have to have some natural, you know, one, natural flying ability and for reactions, some natural yeah, nervous system, I guess, I'd be guessing. It's a pure guess, but uh, training and training and training in aircraft um, just really develops your feel for the aircraft so that um, you know it, it's like um, you know if you if someone stumbles over a rug while they're walking um, you'll see some people can you know can can catch themselves a, a, a toddler learning to walk definitely can't they'll just go flat on their face um, so there's got to be some some natural ability to get back on your feet uh, to stay on your feet but also people who have been walking for longer uh, will tend to have a better idea of how to, how to stay on their feet and react naturally and instinctively. <laughs> a- ATC Ben was asking if you flash back to the Perth incident with Kindleman when you had yours. But I, as you were saying uh, earlier, you were way too busy to think about anything except getting yeah, out. It, yeah, exactly. There were no, there were no thoughts you know, apart from you know, doing everything I could to survive. And then the first thought about that was bad was you know, probably 10 seconds after the event. And that was just a, a feeling of being angry with myself that I let yep. that happen. And then uh, a thought that, you know, I may still have to bail out. I'm not sure how long the engine's going to run for or if the landing gear's still on it. But everything is in perspective because when I thought I might have to bail out, I remember thinking, well, that's not a bad option. You know, at least I'm not wet at the moment. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the bailout was actually, well, that's, that's a good result. And anything, anything um, better than a bailout is a, is a bonus. Do you folks have a de- uh, definitive bailout area that you have to make sure that the aircraft doesn't wind up impacting any residential areas or, th- or built-up areas? Oh, for sure, yeah. When, we're only ever going to bail out if there's a dedicated bailout area that, that won't affect anything. Um, otherwise, our primary method is actually ditching. So we'll, um, our, our primary primary solution uh, with things wrong with the aircraft that are going to stop us from landing or um, you know, the engine failing, for example, uh, is to put it in the water in the racetrack because the chances of surviving there are actually very high um, with a controlled ditching. And, and you, know, you saw from Perth how quickly yeah. the, um, the guys get on, uh, onto the case and get you out of the cockpit. So you know, the, in Windsor, we were quite lucky because we had some large, large areas and uh, water masses around um, that probably, probably were going to be a better option than ditching right in the middle of the Detroit River. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, just before we finish up, one more thing, and it's, it's really not so much to do with flying, but um, I actually blogged about this recently on our website, uh, more talking about just how to handle ourselves in life. When we heard the news about, you know, the you know, you're being stood down from flying and all this sort of stuff, I mean, I, I felt a sudden flash of anger and how dare they and all this sort of stuff. You, on the other hand, came out on your website and on the TV and on YouTube and whatnot basically with the attitude of, of acceptance. This is what's happened and this is how we're going to move on. And I, I just wanted to compliment you on that because I know there was m- myself and, and, and plenty of others who were, who were quite unhappy about the news and we would ex- have expected, I guess, you to, and perhaps even you were privately, but at least you came out publicly and were very diplomatic about it and, and really showed us all how we ought to, all ought to handle these sort of situations. Yeah, the, uh- Trust me, I was very, I was very disappointed. Um, but there's, there's, um, there's certain battles in life. You know, you got, you got a certain amount of uh, emotion to use, and uh, you got to, you got to pick where you use those emotions. So um, the decision was made. There was nothing I could do about it. I could kick and scream and yell, um, but that was not going to fix the situation. So uh, you know, after the initial disappointment, I'm always a believer in there's got to be something good that you can always get out of every situation. There has to be something good. So. 
so I, right, I'm not racing in New York. So I, after the initial disappointment for a couple of minutes, I then you know, sat down with the team and went, right, we're not racing. So we are going to use the next four days to do as much flying as possible to try and get the air, use this time at the race to get the aircraft flying better than it ever has yep. before. So that for the next races, we go in with an aircraft that uh, we're happy with. So that was the positive side. So that's what I decided. And uh, you go, yep, I'd love to be racing. I'm not, but we're going to get something out of it at least. No, it's just a lesson for all of us, mate. And like I said, I really compliment you on, on coming out and, and putting it out that way. And, and particularly, we have a lot of younger listeners on the show. So that's that's a great example to, to them in particular about how to handle yourself in life. Uh, I think not, not only uh, getting out there and, and uh, doing it in the flying world. So uh, Matt, we'll let you go. It's been a long interview and we really do appreciate, as always, the huge amount of time that you've given to us and the great amount of technical information. And uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season. And uh, we hope to talk to you again later in the year. Yeah, it's no problem at all. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure with you guys. Well, there you go, mate. I tell you what, I never get tired of chatting to Matt Hall. The the amount of technical detail that he goes into, and he's only too happy to help us out any time we ask, is just amazing. And uh, what did you think of particularly the psychology behind uh, what was going through his mind at the time and, and how he's coped with it since? Yeah, well, I mean, given that what would be going through my mind is definitely unprintable and would probably be similar to what happens when a uh, insect hits the uh, the windscreen. What goes through its mind is its bum. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it was absolutely amazing hearing all that stuff and, and the whole, you know, speed up hyperdrive all the all the reactions and everything just amazing and and also his his very honest and open appraisal of everything that led up to that event and some of the thoughts that a few of us had related to his health related to the fact that he was flat out with his company stuff definitely a lot of factors that uh, led up to a very eye-opening situation for him and i think he's come away from it a very much better uh, race pilot which is hard to imagine because he was pretty good before but it's it's more than just flying the plane it's everything that goes around it that makes the whole and i think this has been a, a, a great educational experience for him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting too that you talk about, uh, and, and he was so honest about uh, some of the mistakes he'd made by you know putting a lot of stuff out there in the online world up on Facebook and on his on his website and such like. Um, that had been noted in, in several quarters around the uh, the aviation podcasting world and uh, I wasn't sure whether I was going to ask him about it but uh, fortunately I didn't need to. He just came right out and said it so we uh, that was wonderful and uh, very, very honest and, and you know it's, it's all about, as he said, what you can learn from the incident and you know he, he flew away Way and that's the main thing and um, if anyone's going to learn something from that it will be him oh definitely and uh, on so many levels not just the flying level so uh, wonderful Grant so uh, we'll end that interview here as we said we've been uh, waiting in line for quite a while for uh, <laughs> to get the time to uh, <laughs> chat with Matt and uh, we, we're glad that we uh, despite a few errors with Skype but Skype was giving us a bit of trouble this time around but uh, yeah it was earlier and then we've had a couple of goes to hook up with Matt and a couple of combinations of things got in the way uh, you know like our schedule wasn't right his schedule wasn't right he needed some downtime with family all those things aligned and that's why it's taken us a little while to finally get in touch with them but yeah just when it, we thought oh no now it's going to be Skype that stops us having the chat we, we managed to get it to happen yep so uh, thanks once again to Matt Hall thanks also to David Lyle his manager for uh, once again facilitating us and uh, helping us out uh, to get this interview sorted out pretty confident we'll be able to chat again with Matt uh, towards the end of the season in a couple of months time but until then when you're looking around the world of online aviation podcasts always remember this it's what's down under that counts You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.planecrazydownunder.com, or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website, or email us at planecrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. 
As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Getting yourself off that water. I mean, for the rest. Sorry, for the rest. <laughs> it's going to be one of those chats. <laughs> That'll be an edit point, Grant. Well, get him back off on those drinks. Mate. Yeah. <laughs> mate, I think I'm going to have to go and stand upside down again. For that, you know, that sort of high pressure uh, event. <laughs> that sort of. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you- <laughs>